You're listening to Range Minded from Independence Indoor Shooting. Before we get started, please leave us a rating and some feedback from wherever you get your podcasts from. It really does help us make better content for you. This is episode 95, where we talk with a special guest, Terry Piper of the Ultimate Hybrid Holster, the Idaho Enhanced Academy, where he takes a reality-based approach to firearms training and concealed carry, and Terry's also on the Openly Concealed podcast. So naturally, we've got plenty to talk about. We really enjoyed recording this episode, so we hope you enjoy listening to it. And as always, thanks for listening to episode 95 of Range Minded, the Terry Piper interview. Hello and welcome to Range Minded from Independence Indoor Shooting. My name is Mark Long and I am joined uh, by... Terry Piper. By Steve's... Oh yeah, (laughs) Terry's I'm not supposed to say anything. He beat you to the punch, Steve. How about that? (laughs) It's okay. It's okay, Terry. Whatever. It's cool. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Terry's our guest. We decided to bring Terry in. Um, everybody should know me that listens regularly. I'm Steve. Nobody special. <laughs> Just a guy. <laughs> Just a guy. Over over in eastern Idaho. Uh, but yeah, we yeah, have... Yeah, but I'm not just any guy. Let's see if you can hear it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, that's just rude. We got nothing like that here. <laughs> yeah. That's a well, Bundaberg. I'll, I'll bring some next time. <laughs> All right. Sounds like a Have winner. you had a Bundaberg ever, a ginger beer, Terry? Uh, I've had ginger beer before, but um, I, I don't know what brand it was. But Oh, okay. Because this is this, this is the best ginger beer available. Okay. All right. Well, you, you'll have to. I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you have to. Yeah, you have to bring some next time, Steve. Steve was actually oh, here last weekend, and I was surprised I didn't have one waiting for me on the table. Oh but, yeah, we were trying uh, to usually get bring. together, but it just you know I I've got a busy schedule too. That's okay. And, You're a busy guy, actually, and that's that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So let's just jump right <laughs> in. Right. Um, you are uh, the man behind the Ultimate Hybrid Holster. I am the man. Uh, one of the men. I mean, I partnered with uh, Nick Hoffer from Hoff and that's how that kind of came about and uh, now I'm the sole proprietor he, he's, he's busy enough with uh, Hoftac yeah yeah um, we've had him on the show a couple of times yeah he's a, he's a good friend of the show so. yeah he's a he's a busy guy he's an industrious guy and, yeah um, he and is so yeah he doesn't sleep uh, you know, uh, actually, I think he spends more of his time sleeping during the day and then like <laughs> works, works all, all night. night. Yeah, he's kind of a night owl. But. Oh, okay. I was just, I just thought he never slept because he just seemed like he's always doing stuff and always doing something. He so. generally is. Yeah, he, he's very industrious. <laughs> yeah, but that's not all you do either. You do other, no, other stuff uh, too. So I have a, a training uh, academy myself called Idaho Enhanced Academy. So I do uh, personal protection. Um, I do the Idaho Enhanced classes, uh, private tutoring training little bit of uh, everything cool and uh, so and then I also have my own podcast um, oh, okay very that we cool. started uh, about a couple months ago called openly concealed where we just have candid conversations about uh, concealed carry and the uh, the good the bad the ugly the uh, the things that people don't learn in class sure you yeah. know, you get that minimum basic Idaho law that says you got to take eight hours you got to spend a uh, hundred rounds on the range and you've got to have a, a lecture by an attorney or an intermediate certified law enforcement officer and right so you know i think a lot of people kind of miss the boat in a lot of training i i also contract for another company a national company called legal heat so i teach oh, okay. all the cabela's all the sportsman's warehouse classes wow. and um and yeah i you know i get this overwhelming sense and one of the reasons i do what i do is because i'm very passionate about it i grew up in the pawn business and getting guns pointed at you on a daily basis was like really? the, the the thing yeah yikes and uh and then when i was 16 my brother shot me with a 12 gauge inside our shop playing with a winchester wow. model 97 damn and uh three feet away rick shade off the floor hit me in the calves and so wow that's uh, crazy yeah it was those things that really kind of shaped my my passion and my desire to teach and train yeah 
and then create uh, later when I kind of got involved in the um, holster business. I was an executive for Crossfire Shooting Gear. Okay. And designed two of their best-selling holsters to date. And uh, then got laid off. So <laughs> that's kind of how Ultima Hybrid came about. Sure. And, uh, you know, it was out, kind of out of necessity. I went to work for uh, Nemo Arms in the in the interim. But mm-hmm. while I was at Nemo, I, I launched Ultimate Hybrid. Cool. So, yeah, that's actually, so that's pretty admirable that, because um, you'd think that if most people got shot, they would, like, end up hating guns and, like, rally against them and, and, and be an anti-gunner or whatever. And you kind of went the opposite route. Yeah, I kind of did because, I, you know, I think uh, through some of the things that happened in my childhood, that and then uh, watching my dad almost shoot my mom uh, playing around with a gun. Yeah. And you know, bless their souls. They're gone now. But um, it really got me fired up and uh, kind of just wanting to have conversation and talk about this whole thing of guns, you know, cause a lot of people, they do, they, they kind of go the opposite spectrum yeah, yeah. and think, Oh man, guns are the bad thing. And mm-hmm. you know, a gun's no different than any other tool you use a Stanley hammer or a shovel or, you know, it, it's made to do something, but depending on the person behind it, kind of depends on where yeah. it goes, you know, whether it's evil yeah. or whether it's just a tool. And so uh, with that, I just kind of, it, it got me passionate about just, uh, having conversations and that's kind of what my podcast is about is just um, let's not argue and call each other names <laughs> right uh, let's not you know say you're here and I'm here and you know we can't get along right let's, let's have a conversation and find out how we can kind of grow towards the middle because I'm I'm as two-way yeah. as it gets but at the same time you know uh, we have to be prudent we have to be reasonable and we have to be people that are looking out for other people and not trying to push buttons not trying to start argument yeah. or and, you know, right off the bat in, in uh, one of my podcasts, you know, somebody called somebody out and I'm like, hey, come on, man. That's not what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're not calling people names. We just want to talk. <laughs> and that's all I want to do. And I want to um, just kind of get people acclimated to the idea that it's not what you hear. You know, you, I, I hear so yeah. much bad street advice in classes. Right. You know, I'll have 20 to 30 students in a class at Cabela's and a lot of questions and a lot of bad street advice. Yeah, I bet you probably hear a lot of what's like the what's the number one like bad advice or like bad thing you hear? Oh, uh, if you shoot somebody outside your house, drag them inside. <laughs> people actually take that seriously. Oh yeah, people take it very seriously. Yeah, my my buddy told me, you know, if I shoot somebody outside, make sure I drag them inside. And I'm like, that is the worst advice I've ever heard in my life. Wow. You know? Um, and then you know, how much do you like prison? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, people just don't understand the ramifications of letting uh, emotion, a fear based emotion dictate their action, which later causes ramifications in legal, social, you know, mental, all of it. And they just really don't get the concept of all the things that, well, you know, right, wrong or indifferent in that moment um, doesn't dictate what happens. I mean, you know, the ramifications later that, that turn out way bad and yeah. people just don't think about them because it's not, it's not in their mind. In their mind, they're thinking, okay, well, the law says this, and I can do this, and I can do that, and I can do this, and uh, it's just never cut and dry. Yeah, and like we've talked about on this podcast before, is that every round, every every round that leaves that gun in a self-defense situation or home defense situation has a lawyer attached to it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, and I like to point out when I was running the simulator for forward movement, um, putting people in the simulator was my favorite thing because I they go in there and they go, Mel Gibson, you know, <laughs> you, 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 you pop up a scene, and they get their Glock out and they bang 16 rounds out there. And I go, okay, let's go back and look at this for a second. Yeah. Um, first of all, 
um, you know, you, you shot. And so we go, we, we track the shot, the fall of shot. And so I'm going back and debriefing. Okay. One, two, three. And we're counting all these shots. They, sure. they pounded out there. Well, maybe the last two are in the bad guy. And the other 14 were all over the place. All over the place. And this is what I'm saying. I'm like, who do you think is going to pay for the Tesla across the street? (laughs) That's not going to be the bad guy. And who do you think is going to pay for that kid you shot playing soccer in the park? Yeah, man. You know, those are the things that people don't think about. And I'm like, you know, if you even boil it down to simple math, you know, an average shooter can shoot, what, 15, 16 rounds in 10-ish seconds? Yeah, pretty fast. yeah. Yeah. And so you think about... 16 rounds of liability when you could have really taken a lot of time, taken four seconds, put two shots on the bad guy, well stop that shots. action, and mathematically it makes more sense. Li- Liability-wise, it makes more sense. And, you know, people aren't taught that. They just like, hey, I got to stop the action. Yeah, that's cool, but you can generally stop it with two, maybe three, you know, sometimes more. It depends on how, what, why, when, and where. But, right, right. Uh, at yeah, the every same, situation is different. Yeah, and you can't, you know, uh, even attorneys will tell you, you can't draw a linear line and go uh, right, wrong, yes, no, yes, no, yes, 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 you know, whatever <laughs> that, there's so much sway room Yeah. in all of that. And I like to point out uh, the Idaho Code 18-4009 on justifiable homicide. Uh-huh. And I make people read it. It's four paragraphs. And I'm like, you show me where you see the first period. <laughs> so they read four paragraphs of, um, you know, some of it old terminology. Sounds like the Queen's English. You really? know, uh, master, mistress, servant, slave. And wow, I'm going, okay, so crazy. you know that's been in there for a while. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and then you look down at the bottom, and the, the last time this code was updated was 1972. Oh, wow. And so people are like, well, why do you bring all that up? And why do you bring up, uh, where's the first period in this four paragraphs? Well, it's at the very end, Mm -hmm. very end of four paragraphs. And I say, you know, what does a period offer in any sense? Finality or the the end, end, right? Well, you don't have that with this law that stipulates what you have to do to be classified justifiable homicide. And um, That's intense. Yeah. Then people start going, whoa. You know, and I guess I never really... Yeah, the to gravity me, of the situation yeah, like, kind of hits them. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I think in this whole realm of concealed carry, that's the thing that scares me the most. It's not bad guys. You know, I'm equipped to train or deal with those guys. I've trained to deal with those guys. Um, what I'm afraid of is the after action, the the legal aspect afterwards, whether I'm right, right. wrong, or indifferent. And we can do things all day long based on principle, but I can show you a lot of people, principal people that are sitting in jail right now, because of principle and well i have that right yeah you do but guess what you just lost everything you were fighting for in the first place your freedom yeah you know it sounds like well steve did you have something well i was just thinking you you touched on it like right when we first started the conversation about the the minimum of what idaho state requires and i've noticed that with a lot of class curriculum like the the thousand foot view of what they're teaching in the curriculum. And it seems like every time I look at the class descriptions, it's meets the minimum requirements for the state. <laughs> and, you know, and, was... <laughs> and why, why do I want to go to a class or it, and, and each, you know, each class has benefits. Don't get me wrong, but sure. Why, why do we have to go just the minimum? Why can't, you know, why can't some instructors like, it sounds like you do it a little bit, you know, you go a little bit deeper than just water skiing. Let's, let's delve into some of the reality of it. Well, you yeah, don't have I... to just, meet the minimum required let's exceed the minimum requirement exactly i like to tell people you know uh if nothing else if 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 we don't have time to for me to drill something into a student i'm going to at least acclimate you to the idea 
that this is what you need to know. And I know a lot of instructors don't teach malfunctions. Well, malfunctions are, um, you know, a critical part of learning how to run your gun. And I yeah, know and they're inevitable. That, oh, absolutely. And especially under stress, stress is what changes all the rules. It synergistically goes wrong in that moment of stress. Yeah. So if you don't have a uh, good understanding of how to correct malfunctions in your gun, you're already, I mean, the, the bad guy picks the time, the place and the condition. So we're already at deficit, right? right? When we, when we reach that encounter, we're at deficit. So we have to make sure everything else goes in our favor, which means knowing how to fix a, a malfunction. And so, um, you know, and then acclimating people to the idea of this legality is not just cut and dry. And even though the law says this, don't hang your hat on it because, yeah. um, you know, you talk to any defense attorney in the Valley and they'll tell you, you can try the same case, five different counties in Idaho and come out with five different outcomes where people sure. go to jail, where people get off. Um, so it almost sounds like a crapshoot almost. It is. And so, you know, I like to bring this up to people because, you know, I love watching like crime drama, you know, oh, sure. files. I mean, those are some of my favorite shows. Yeah. And my, my mind kind of, you know, things like that. But um, if you if anybody's ever been in a court um, situation where they've been chosen for jury. Yeah. It is a big chess match because you've got prosecution and defense and they're both taking so many opportunities to kick jurors loose based on their belief. So if you've got a capital murder case where you know that your client's going to um, get the death penalty, you're trying to stack that jury with people who don't believe in the death penalty, who don't believe in capital punishment. Yeah, it's all a jury selection. Yeah, and so you've got prosecution and defense that are both trying to stack the jury in their odds. And at the end of the day, it really is a crapshoot. And and it's kind of funny how they word the law when it says, hey, jury of your peers, because I'm like, no, those people that couldn't get out of jury dirty, those those <laughs> guys are not my peers. My peers are the guys I work with, go to church with, shoot with, hang out with. You know, they're the yeah, ones that know yeah. my motive, my actions, my heart, my uh, my compassion. Not twelve strangers that don't know me from Adam. Those aren't my peers. They're not. I don't even care about their. You know how they view me. I care right. about how these guys view me. You know. Crazy. Crazy. (laughs) It is crazy. It's frustrating, but but it's the reality. I mean, we we live in a society where it seems like the lawyers get their ways a lot more often than not. Oh, and And, honestly, uh, at the end of the day, the lawyers are the ones that make out because it doesn't matter if their client wins or loses. They yeah, still got to pay. And they're going home yeah. at the end of the night. Right. They got to go home and see their wife and kids at the end of the day. And you know, another thing I instruct my students on, you know, we're not out to kill anybody. We're not out to do anything. We want the same thing that everybody else wants. We want to go home and be safe at the end of the day and see our wife and family and kids. And right. in, in the pursuit of that, and we do something, like I said, right, wrong, or different, it really doesn't matter in, in the purview of the law and the lens of the law and whether it was reasonable or not, you've got to get 12 people to look at that without the uh, benefit of hindsight, without the benefit of a lot of things and just go, okay. If I was in that same situation with all the same actors, same information, I would have done the same thing. Done the that same that thing, sounds reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I remember I was, on, I was actually on a jury for a civil court. This was back in a couple of years ago, four or five years ago. And okay. I mean, it was like, a, it was a wrongful death kind of, it wasn't like a criminal case, but okay. even then it was still a couple of weeks long, yep. you know, and it's long and drawn out and going through jury selection about, do you have any family members who have been affected by X, Y, and Z? That's or, what they're asking. And yes. it's, it's intense, man. Uh-huh. And you can, I mean, and they'll, they'll, 
throw you off for no reason. And even like they got at me because I didn't say anything. Like nobody, they were asking like, well, what do you guys all think of this or whatever? And I just kind of sat there and silent. And I'm like, and then eventually called me out. They're like, well, you haven't said much. What do you think about some of this stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> and so I, I guess my, my reticence to speak, I guess just got me onto the jury, but I sure. mean, it's, it's an intense thing. And most of the time, I think a lot of jurors just want to be done with it. You know, I have a, yeah, I have yeah. a pretty good attention span for stuff, but I can imagine some people who are just like have ADD or like need to be constantly stimulated or something yeah. like with a, or addicted to your phone, no matter what the age, I mean, they just probably aren't even thinking about it. They're probably just drawing doodles in their notebook or whatever. And <laughs> they already know kind of how they're going to vote if they need to, you know, yeah. and it's kind of weird and scary to think about that. Um, so what do you think though, that you can do, or what's something that we can do or that maybe you teach that to kind of turn the odds into your favor instead of making it a crapshoot? Uh, well, that's, uh, that's it. I, uh, um, in my personal classes, uh, by the end of the class, I'm teaching trigger diagnostics mm -hmm. because here's one of the things I've, I've realized, and I'm a kind of a technical guy, you know, I was a copier service manager. I understand process. I understand, uh, if it takes this to make something work, well, then it's easier to figure out where things break down, right? Easier to troubleshoot. Sure. And I kind of approach uh, gun handling guns in the same manner. If people understand why they're shooting off. Well, then they can correct it. So they don't necessarily need me, you know, um, yelling over their shoulder, hey, tap it, rack it, flip it, you know, or whatever the, the malfunction is. If I teach them how to symptomize it and then how to diagnose it, and then I tell them, hey, it's your job to go practice this until it becomes, uh, you know, I, I talk about going from uh, unconscious, uh, um, I don't have my notes with me. That's okay. But where we go through the four stages of um, of the way our minds work, where we don't know what we don't know at first. Sure. And right. then through training, through all of these things, technique, skill, tactics, we go to that unconscious uh, consciousness where our brain knows where to go and how to get there. And so uh, I try to... My teaching style is very, uh, you know, you can call it what you want, but it, it, I really have adapted the front sight teaching method into my class. So I've taken something I learned in four days or going through an instructor development at front sight and cram that into a full day's course in my course where people are learning malfunctions. They're learning how to do trigger diagnostics and they know that when their gun shoots here, it's because they did this. Mm -hmm. And, um, a little more in depth of what they need to do. And I, you guys know Leroy Graham. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I use a lot of his, you know, uh, a lot of his words. And one of them is at the end of the day, if you kind of break it all down and boil it down to its basics, yeah, your job at the end of the day is to get sight alignment, sight picture, and then press the trigger without moving your sights. Yeah, it's it's right. it's a simple process. It's just difficult to do. It, that's exactly right, and that's what I tell people. I said it sounds really really easy, but if you don't put the time in and the mm -hmm. practice in and uh, the effort in, it'll never happen. It'll yeah. never get to that unconscious consciousness where your brain just knows where to go. Well, and we've talked about too on the on podcast past that you know shooting is a depreciating skill, and oh, if you absolutely. don't regularly go to the range, I mean, Steve and I just uh, we did a review last week of the Glock forty four and the and or that Smith and Wesson M and P Shield Nine Easy. That's okay. a mouthful. Yeah, <laughs> and we both were like, well, we haven't shot in a while or whatever. And we can kind of hold our own, but it's like you could tell, like, oh, you yeah, know. Yeah. But the difference is, like you said, is that we've been shooting long enough. I think, and I, I can probably speak for Steve on this, is that you know we both kind of knew what we were doing and how why we were shooting off. Would you say that's right, Steve? 
Yeah, well, even even if I get rusty, I at least remember enough to go back to the fundamentals and yeah, and, you can and you can go back, back to the up. base. Yeah, and, and you know, as a copier guy, I used to tell people that all the time: go back to the basics. Yeah, if you go back to the basics, it'll get you back up to speed. And uh, for me, as an instructor. You know, as with, I think with a lot of instructors, you spend so much time teaching, you don't spend as much time shooting as you should, yeah, right? right? Yeah, And so I would, uh, when I was working, I was working, I was an executive for Crossfire. I was um, working part-time for Matt at Forward Movement in the evenings, four hours a night every oh, evening. Oh, wow, jeez. And then I was working part-time for um, Front Sight. Mm-hmm going there a couple times a year, and then I would take a group of guys with me a couple times a year as a student. And I found myself in between trips to front site where my skills would dilapidate. And then I'd go to front site and I'd be up on that plateau where I'm like, hey, I'm ready, You're steady, on it, and yeah. I'm on it. And then I would go back to teaching for you know three, four months and would taper off. And so now, uh, one of the techniques that I use is all a lot of times, depending on how big the class is, I'll jump in the line with students and call the line from the line. And it kind of <laughs> stay on top of it. Yeah. And stay, it, yeah. it allows me to shoot. And, and I always tell people, I'm not doing this to show off. This is because my skills are perishable just like yours are. And so, and right. it also kind of gives you an idea, you know, what things should look like, how smooth it should be and, um, how, how fast it should be. And, you know, you really need to be able to get your gun out um, from concealment pointed in and two shots fired in two seconds or less. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really the the crux or the uh, pinnacle of your training needs to be that or better. Yeah, and doing it in you know safely under stress in a in an unknowable sir you know an unknown situation. Stress induced, and yeah. that's the thing that you can't. Um, iterate enough with people is like okay, this is great when you're shooting in a controlled environment. Um, Okay, that's easy. There's nobody shooting at you, nobody trying to kill you. When somebody's trying to shoot at you and kill you, it takes on a whole new meaning and <laughs> what, what it feels like. And I use little tricks, and this is this usually does the trick for folks. Yeah. As I'm like teaching the class, I start amping things up and I never put them under pressure, but I add that sense of urgency through timing or like one of the things I'll do, so I'm walking them through malfunctions. I'm like, what's the symptom on a type one? They're they're rattling off. What's the symptom on a type two? They're rattling rattling it off. What's the symptom on a type three? They rattle it off, and then, all right, how do we fix a type one? They're rattling it off, right? We start getting through the class, and I've we've walked through these malfunctions several times, so they kind of feel like they got to know it, right? So they're and familiar like, with it. They're confident. Yeah, and then yeah. I go, I, I walk up to them, and I go, hey, what's the what's the symptom on a type one? Come on, and I snap my fingers. That's all I'm doing. I'm just snapping my fingers. Really? And they're like, um, um, uh, or um, 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 you know, they start stammering, and I'm like. Okay, so this is that sense of um, urgency. It's not pressure. The stress, yeah. Yeah, but just that. I want you to think about just that and how it cobbled your brain. And then I want you to think about somebody trying to kill you and maim you and how exponentially bigger that gets in your mind. Yeah, that's crazy. And they go, oh. You know, the light kind of comes on. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about, and I've, it's, I've experienced it too in classes where even just a timing, like a shot timer. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's another great one where it's like, okay, like, because it introduces that sense of urgency where you want to do it faster, you know, and sometimes even shoot faster than maybe you're comfortable doing yep. and, you know, putting four or five shots as fast as you can on target or whatever is, is an exhilarating feeling and, and to one degree, but also like, wow, it's like, I mean, you can really be unsafe really quickly. So oh, you yeah, have yeah. to, you have to really have your skills. And it goes back to those in. basics where yep. you're learning the draw. You learn when to take that safety off. You learn when to punch out. You learn yep. when to take the slack out of the trigger, you know, Everything is regimented and it becomes, and I always tell people when you're first learning this and you're doing these steps, the five count to a draw from draw to punched in, Mm -hmm. you're walking and talking yourself through it. It it better sound very robotic and very syncopated when you start one, two, three, four, 
five. Yeah, you know, and you steps, just yeah, you, and I always yeah. tell people talk and walk yourself through it forwards, talk and walk yourself be- through it backwards. And it's like, you know, I'm a musician, so I play guitar. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, learning scales. You you learn a scale, whatever scale it is, Mixolonian, Aeolian, you know, there's a million of them out there, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's all about finger pattern, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're learning those patterns, you only go as fast as you can go and get every note perfect all the way down and all the way back up. And mm-hmm. if you go, if you mess it up, you got to learn how to run through it without starting over because you don't get a do over, you know, <laughs> yeah, in the right. middle of a solo, you don't get a do over. You take off or you figure out how to, or you just, yeah, carry on. Yeah. Figure it that's, out. That's part step. of being a professional too, or, uh, yeah. you know, and, and being a master of the skills that you have. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that, it sounds like you really just take a reality kind of based approach to, to instructing, which I think not a ton of people do. I mean, a lot of people I know and a lot of instructors that I've had bring their experience to the, to the table, which is great, mm-hmm. you know, and talk about it. But I, I feel like you really, bringing that reality to people and then like making them understand. I, I try to, that's really my, my heart and my passion is that people understand they're not as ready as they think they are. Sure. And you know, uh, I always tell them, Hey, you're not going to get there without practice. You're not going to get there without training. Um, you, I really hit hard on the fact follow up, you know, you're going to take this minimum eight hour class and the majority you're going to walk out of this building go buy a gun, strap it on and think that you're ready to handle it because our, our brains are wired to succeed. We're, we, you know, we're, we're uh, predators basically, you know, sure. we, we're designed to face things head on. We're designed to, to win. And so that's, that's how our brain sets everything up. Well, we're going to win. We're just going to win. It's almost like a foregone conclusion. It it's just really going to happen. Is. Yeah, it really is. And so that's one of the, that's the other thing I kind of bring out in class is the brain science. What, why our brains go where they go, why they think the way they think and what we have to do to, Make a cognitive decision, the OODA loop, you know, I yeah, bring up the yeah. OODA loop and I use the dollar bill on the table um, way to kind of bring that out. You think you're ready, but if you're reacting, you're already behind, you're at deficit already. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to get from that um, act to, um, or from that observed to act is through training, is through skill, through skill-based training. And just repetitions and doing it over and over yeah, and over again. Yeah, to the point yeah. it becomes muscle memory. And now, like, you know, I'm, I'm an awkward dude. I mean, I've, I am left-handed. <laughs> oh, me too. But I shoot right-handed. Oh, I'm really? left-eye okay. dominant. And so, wow, you are backwards. Yeah, God's like, hey, watch, I'm going to screw this kid up. <laughs> um, but uh, when I shoot, it's people are like, what the heck are you doing? Because I uh, it, was, it was the first thing that broke me of at front sight. Uh-huh. I used to lay my head on my my shoulder oh, really? to get sight acquisition. Okay, right? interesting. They're like, quit moving your head. Let the gun do the work. So yeah. now you watch my draw stroke. My my gun comes up to my face in, in the in the four count of the draw uh-huh. where I'm getting sight alignment, sight picture, taking the slack out as I'm punching out. Right. But it's over my left eye. Yeah, so it's cocked over and it probably looks awkward on the range. Yeah, because it's coming over here instead mm-hmm. of coming straight, uh, you know, really right out from the yeah. holster. And, uh, uh, and and that brings up another thing. I've, I've brought a couple of guys here that were like, they couldn't close their non-dominant eye. Really? Yes. And so the phenomena that I saw, because when you're working with like, you know, 20 to 30 people on the firing range, you're just doing all you can do to make sure nobody gets shot. Right. And, you know? Yeah. Maximizing and, safety. Yeah. Um, I brought two guys out here and both of them, same thing. They kept both eyes open and I could see what was happening with mm-hmm. the brain. The brain was trying to figure out which I was going to shoot and their gun was moving from left to right. Really? That's Almost wild. like, uh, have you ever seen... Um, the 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 astagmus test that the police do when they're doing the sobriety test. Oh yeah, with, with the, the pen, pen going back. The and eyes forth. bounce, right? Well, yeah. it's almost the same phenomena when people keep both eyes open with a gun, trying to focus on that front sight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, dude, you either need to learn how to bring that gun to the um, your dominant eye and let yeah. that dominant eye focus, 
or close that non-dominant eye. And it was just so weird to see that. I mean, I've yeah. never really seen it until I brought somebody here. Yeah, and well, I'm like, I was going to say it's funny because I'm also I'm left-handed. I shoot left-handed, but mm-hmm. I'm right-eye dominant. Okay, so, so I you're shoot cross-dominant. Pi- but I shoot pistols left-handed, but I shoot long guns right-handed. So, yeah, I'm cross-dominant. So what I've kind of done, I took the Bill approach, the, the Bill Hanley approach, where it comes up and you just move your head over just a little bit. Okay. So I don't move my head a ton, but, um, you know, having to overcome that, I didn't even know what eye dominance was until I started shooting. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm left-handed. I must be left-eye dominant. And I was like, yeah. I was shooting like crap. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute, like eye dominance. And I did the whole test or whatever, you know, a couple yep. of I'm like, I must be right eye dominant. And then well, that's, and that's the thing. If things you change know. when you you're just shooting. weird, man. I've never had that issue. Hey, get out. Get out. Go, go to your room. I'll be there shortly. <laughs> 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 no, you know, I think um, for me, like shooting a rifle, mm-hmm. both eyes open because I have objective long distance and I have objective through a lens because I don't know how many deer I've lost <laughs> closing that, that non-dominant eye looking through the scope. Right. And, uh, you know, you hear, you see hooves go up, but then you're like, well, wait a minute. Everything looks the same from this uh, purview, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So I started learning to shoot with both eyes open, and that eliminated that. But when we're talking about defensive, you know, we're talking a pretty short distance, and you really right. have got to be focused on that dominant eye or else things just don't go right. You yeah. Know? But like you said, I mean, like, you're just taking the way the brain works into account, the way your eyes work into account. It's it's it's. It's a different approach than I, than what I've heard, which sounds kind of yeah. cool. So, well, and you see those guys that like bought, put their head way down inside, uh, like below really their gun. Mm-hmm. Well, that that, that phenomenon happens. That same uh, astigmus phenomenon is. Uh, I've heard it called turtling. Yeah. So yeah. your head is you like way down in, there. Yeah. Well, your eyes do the same thing. They have that involuntary bounce because we're not designed that way. Our eyes are designed to look straight on, you know, predator type, and right. so. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, and that's something I, I've learned through watching the videos at uh, Legal Heat, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I never really thought about it, but then I'm like, that makes sense. That totally makes sense because when you're intoxicated and you do the horizontal astagnus <laughs> test, yeah, uh, they get to 45 and they bounce like nobody's business, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I'm crazy. like, okay, I can understand how that would work where, you know, Vertically, you're, you're below your line of sight. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, speaking of Leroy too, he taught me with, uh, with rifles where instead of, you know, bringing the or bringing your head down to the gun, you bring the gun up to you and it's way more comfortable and you can shoot a lot better that way. So yeah. same principle with, with any firearms. Really, I love so. Leroy. He's just a big log. You yeah, know, I know. He's an awesome dude. <laughs> We've got to have him on the podcast. It, it, uh, we haven't had a chance to have him on yet, but yeah, I'd he, love to be a part of that too. Yeah, uh, Leroy, and I, you know, I, um, when I was at Crossfire, I would hire Leroy to go with me to SHOT Show. And oh, it was cool. Always a riot. Yeah, always a riot, you know? Yeah, I bet you he knows how to have a good time. Oh, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Steve, <laughs> Steve, you got anything? No, I was just thinking, you talk about Leroy. Every time people come into the shop, apparently we look similar enough, <laughs> even though he's a lot a lot taller. He's got like a foot on me. Yeah. He's like, he'd always introduce people uh, to me to people as his son. This is my son, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. And oh, everybody would believe him. Like, I was like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, are you going to question anything he says? Because he's no. like no. a foot taller no. than everybody? Uh-huh. Not a guy his size. Yeah, when just, Leroy talks, you listen. Yeah, you let him do whatever. So, um, well, let's switch gears real quick over to the Ultimate Hybrid holster because yeah. I mean, I, um, how did you kind of get into holster making and everything? Because it's it, like we talked about this Nick Hoffer. It's like one of those things that everybody has, but you don't think about. Yeah, you know, until you're like, or you're you're cycling through a bunch, but you don't think about like how they get made or the story behind them. They're just sure. there, you know. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people take them for granted. But so how did you kind of get into holster making? Well, so um, it all started. Um, I was. A I've been a gun guy. I grew up in the pawn business, so yeah, I know yeah, yeah. guns intimately. I mm-hmm. mean, I can look at models, and I can even see somebody's like, 
what is that? You can only see the top of it. It's this and that. I mean, I know intimate, sure. you know, intimately guns. And um, so I had a friend that worked for a holster company, Crossfire Shooting Gear. And he's like, man, there's this company that builds holsters and nobody knows anything about guns. <laughs> and I'm like, what? That doesn't how, make sense. How does that work? Yeah, and so the yeah, owner, yeah. you know, his dad shot himself with the uh, with a gun because of an improper holster. And that's oh, kind of how he got started. But okay. uh, it didn't make him a gun expert, right? Right. And so he's like, we need somebody that knows guns. Um, so I came on board um, and I basically spent, you know, uh, five years working for Crossfire. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a sewn good. So it's a soft good. Um, it wasn't the Kydex realm. Um, and... Uh, so I, I kind of got to know holsters in, and that's when I designed. I was carrying a holster made by somebody else at the time I, I started working there. Okay. And I showed it to one of the guys in the back, and he goes, um, why are you wearing that piece of crap? And I'm like, it's the <laughs> only thing I can find that I really like. I had cut it down and like. You had modified it, yeah. For make your... it work for me, yeah, right? Yeah. And he goes, man, let's do something with the stuff that Crossfire does, the ballistic uh, material with the memory foam core and I'm like, okay, so that's how that first design came about. Uh, the the holster, I named it. It was my design. Yeah. Um, it was called un- the Undercover. And it became Crossfire's best-selling holster because it was universal. It was inside or outside the waistband. Mm-hmm. And so that was really kind of my first acclimation towards uh, the whole holster realm. Okay. Well, as we got going, I met Nick somewhere through my connections at going to SHOT Show. I've been going to SHOT Show since I was 10 years old. Well, you the, know, guns, the gun world's kind of a, it's not a big world. You know, everybody yeah. kind of seems to know everybody. Everybody so. in the Valley knows everybody. And then you go to SHOT Show and you know everybody there. Right, exactly. So Nick and I were talking, he's man, we need to design a hybrid that's like a Kydex shell with, you know, something soft that's more comfortable on mm-hmm. the back. And so we started talking and then uh, Nick and I designed um, a holster for Crossfire that I called the EDC. It was trademarked, and um, so that was our design. And so it became uh, the Undercover and the um, EDC are Crossfire's to date still their best sellers. Wow, and that's so, impressive. Um, you know, it was owned by some investors out of Texas. They, um, you know, how it is with investors, they're just looking at making money and yep. they turn around and turning the company and. So uh, I worked for Ron Martinez. If you know uh, in the industry, you know that Ron Martinez was the CEO of Crossfire. So I worked directly with Ron, um, and then he bought um, Gemtech. Yep. So he bought Gemtech. Okay. Uh, kind of turned it into a superpower by itself. You know, he, yeah. Ron, Ron's quite a man, and uh, so I was on the pro staff for Gemtech and working for Crossfire. Well, you know, through the investors, uh, they told him to let me go. So I got I lost my job. Yeah. And um, uh, I thought, you know what? We can take this d- design, this idea, and make it better. Sure, yeah. And so Nick and I kind of got together, and we launched Ultimate Hybrid in January of 2018 and uh, started building this newer hybrid holster. And th- the thing that we effectively did, too, is we added supporting products because there was only one product for Crossfire. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, we figured out how to take the same shell, the same backer, and make five different SKUs out of it, making three inside the waistband and two outside the waistband. And That's so, impressive. Yeah. And so now I'm actually, I'm currently working on a 1911 shell because 1911 is another whole breed. That's, yeah, it's a whole other animal. Yeah. And so I'm <laughs> well, working you, on you that. you deal with the whole, not just a breed of gun, but a breed of gun owner. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, and I'm working on a J-frame revolver. And so oh, same sweet. thing there. If I can design those two, um, I can design five supporting products that go with it that are three inside the waistband, two outside the waistband. And then if I do, uh, you know, my next thought was the, um, the micro pistols. 
Oh, sure. Like single stacks and everything. Yeah, yeah. The little 938s, 238s, you know, 43, 42. And our holster fits the 42. That's kind of on the lowest side of what it'll fit. Sure. But anything larger pretty much fits. And so we figured out how to take this Kydex shell, open it up and allow it to fit everything and still get that kind of trigger lock that you get from Kydex, mm -hmm. uh, but have the comfort of a memory foam core, spacer mesh, which is a... Uh, material designed by NASA, it's a wicking material, and it's mm -hmm. got some foam to it. Uh, so that's laminated to the memory foam, and then there's 600 denier cordura laminated to the other side. So we d we uh, designed a whole new backer um, and took that the, the shell idea to the next generation and started ultimate hybrid yeah yeah and it's i've i've heard nothing but good things about it and it's been it's been going all over the place right yeah yeah so i uh, we're in the nra store so we got the uh, nra online oh, store and awesome. catalog this year and so um so that's going they sold 250 units in the first quarter oh wow and so that was that's our biggest deal um i've got um a hundred and some uh, undercover DHS agents wearing this holster. No way. Uh, yeah, and uh, several Canyon County off-duty guys wear um, the Ultima Hybrid. That's and awesome. so it's you know we're we're a small company we're a startup and it's just been me and sales. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and when you're a new company, you can't get like sales reps to save your life. They're like, we don't know you. Nobody knows you. You don't have a reputation. You don't have a reputation. Yeah. 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 And so you know, I've been trying and trying and trying, and it's just it's not happened and. So it's just been me on the phone. And of course, I'm trying to do the training on top of <laughs> of uh, doing the holster company. So so do you um, sleep? Uh, I do, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, my mind is consumed with these things, you know, tra yeah. either training or figuring out that new design. And I've got an entire setup in my garage. And, you know, Nick's the one that really kind of acclimated me into this whole Kydex producing yeah, side because yeah, that was that's his bread and butter. Yeah, that was really his thing, and so uh, you know he taught me everything. And I've I've worked with Nick, um, done work for Nick. Yeah, um, and uh, you know it's really an intriguing process, and um, you know my mind's creative. It, yeah. I like to you know I like to build things. I like to make things. Right. I like to fix things, and so it's been kind of a natural progression for me. So I I built my own vacuum table, built my own. Um, router table right um my wife bought me a heat press for christmas this year oh so wow I, very cool i built my first uh 1911 prototype last month and i've been prototyping it just yeah, making just sure it worked it and so the yeah. real question though is when are you going to make a lefty one um you know yeah, here's the problem everybody <laughs> asks that because you know as lefties yeah. we're like hey yeah. you know we're part of that crowd too yeah. but nick was um, nick rebuffed me pretty hard when i said when i asked about well, that because <laughs> the thing that people don't understand is the tooling costs us the same regardless of what it is right? right and so if i pay 2500 bucks or 1500 bucks for a tool for like say the ultima hybrid that we have right now mm -hmm. in order for me to do a lefty i got to spend the same 1500 dollars and that market is 10 percent so you're right not going to make it's going right. to take 10 times as long to make back your money it yeah. takes a long time to realize that cost and we actually went to because uh, we launched our company on a pre-sale Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and we wow. sold enough in the pre-sale to, to fund our first production. To make it right. happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so that really kind of helped us out. So there wasn't a ton of money out of pocket. Um, and we tried to do a pre-sale on lefties. We sold one. Not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so I remember when, he told us that. Yeah. When lefties tell me, hey, man, you guys need to build the left. I'm like, if you, <laughs> yeah. if you lefties would put your money where your mouth is, sure. you know, we would already have it. But, yeah. It'd you know, already be there. But yeah. And, you know, I think we're seeing a, a bigger trend of lefties than, than we've ever seen. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've always said that the left-hand market is about 10%. You can figure, you know, 10 to 12% is usually 
where the left-handed market is. Yeah. But I've seen kind of a growing, increasing um, left-handed market. Well, so. you see more guns nowadays that are ambidextrous friendly anyway. So you, yeah, you know. and they really should be because you know here's the other thing that I try to get the reality to, to students in the class is you know sometimes you can't reach the controls. Right. And so, you know, sometimes there's a balance between choosing the right gear. Or you have to shoot with your offhand or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, and I always tell people there's nothing wrong with cheating. You know, <laughs> if you're running your gun and you can't reach the slide release, use your left thumb. It's over there, too. Yeah. You know, and so I'm like trying to like, you know, you adapt and overcome. And so, you know, you, you change things. Or if you can't get that magazine released with your left thumb on your right your your thumb on your right hand. Yeah. Use your left hand. It's okay. It's not cheating. Nobody cares. The <laughs> bad guy's not going to care. Well, he's going to care when you shoot him. But he, you know, <laughs> as long as you're going to get the get what done what you want to get done. That's exactly the whole point, right. So. And that's the, that's always tell it's people. It's kind of it's kind of funny that there's those those pre-programmed training scars before they even really have any training. Yeah. Have you know. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. Well, you know, in my my biggest uh, uh, I guess pet peeve are uh, you know my favorite quote in all the world is, and I learned this from Matt Schneider, Forward Movement, ego is not your amigo. And I've got, <laughs> I like you it. know, I've been teaching long enough that I've had Navy SEALs, I've had FBI agents, oh, I've wow. had all these different people in my classes. And at the end of the day, um, they all learn something. And, right. you know, cool. just because you have a, a plethora of training doesn't necessarily mean you're effective. You know, or, you know, like I always like to point out, and this is this is the other unfortunate thing in the industry, in our industry as instructors. You have a lot of law enforcement and military out there. Well, there's a huge disconnect between civilian life and law enforcement and military, right? Oh, yeah. Military, oh, sure. you're wearing body armor, you have an objective, you have rules of engagement, and you have standard operating procedures. You know, you go out there to do a job. Well, we don't get that. We get the deficit. We get the bad guy who picks the time and the place and the conditions, and then we have to deal with it. And yeah, we're so, just going about our lives. Yeah. And so it's not the same. It's an entirely different environment. And so too many, I think, instructors approach it from that military or law enforcement side where it's not the same. You know, everything is different. Everything is the rules are all changed. Yeah, well, even the mindset, I would say, is different because some, I think most civilians and people just living out their lives don't think the same way that military and law enforcement through the years are kind of conditioned to, to think and observe and all that kind of stuff. Oh, know? yeah, well, if you really think about it, I mean, what's the first thing that happens when you get off the bus when you enlist? You know, they're yelling and screaming at you, right? Yeah. And so they're trying to get you to operate on a more linear basis without being affected by emotion. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's right. That's where we need to learn how to... Um, that's why I tell people at the end of the day in this whole realm, you you can't make an emotional based decision because it could have some really um, downside um, ramifications later that we don't want to have to deal with. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're in the military, they acclimate you to that. They acclimate you to operating under pressure and operating with somebody yelling and screaming at you where you got all this audible and visual stimuli that you're trying to get the job done in in that arena. Yeah. You kind of inoculate yourself from stress or they, they inoculate you from yeah. like stress. And yeah. we've talked about that on the podcast before with different, yeah. like, um, was it Colonel Cooper's color codes of the, of awareness, yeah. right, Steve? Yeah. Orange, yeah. white, orange, yellow, yeah. red. Yeah. 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 We've talked about that quite a few times and just being situationally aware and like being able to handle situations when you're yeah. more situationally aware instead of yeah. being caught off guard. Because and, you've got some sort of plan or some pre, you know, predisposed idea that, this stuff could happen. And, you know, I've been accused of being paranoid. I'm not paranoid. I just have a plan. <laughs> you know, I, I know I've got, you know, that head on the swivel. You're always looking around to see what you have at your disposal.
disposal, what you can use as a weapon, what you can use as, as cover, what you can use as an exit, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you, your mind strategizes in the things that you do. And so, you know, when I go out to dinner with a lot of my friends, I know where I'm going to sit because based on strategy, based on, okay, I'm the guy with the gun. I'm the one that's going to protect everybody at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. I'm the one that needs to see everything that's going on. And, yeah. You know, even carrying on a conversation with a friend, when I look up and I'm, cause I'm, I'm huge on honor integrity and then like when you're talking to somebody looking them in the eye yeah, you know, yeah. We're, we're talking right. we got eye contact that to me that's respect right sure oh yeah but they know that when we're talking and my eyes drift from a conversation that we're having and i'm watching something they know they're like what's up what do you see you know yeah 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 and um it, it's just that level of awareness where if it doesn't look right i'm gonna kind of kind of make focus a my uh, shift yeah. my attention a little bit and i can still carry on that conversation but I'm shifting a little bit just to kind of keep an eye on this in case it turns into something else. Yeah. And that's smart. And that's what I think most people should be doing. You see yeah. so many people on their phones and even especially driving. That's the worst. Oh, self-hypnosis. Yeah. You know, yeah. we learned about this years ago. You mm-hmm. know, when you're so focused on something you're doing, you have no awareness about anything. I mean, somebody could be standing right in front of you. There's no awareness there because it's like that self-hypnotic stage. Yeah, think about you're at work and somebody's on their phone and they walk right into you because they, like you said, they have no idea what's going on. Or, you know, a technique that I use when I'm traveling and I want to quantify somebody because I don't know what their actions are. And Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I always use New Orleans because it's like the freakiest city I've ever been to. Oh, that's a great time. But yeah, there's (laughs) a lot going on. Off of Bourbon Street, being followed by a couple of guys. And I'm like, you know, um, we can't look at somebody and profile what they're intentions are Mm -hmm. so we have to quantify that or we have to qualify it some way so you know i'll do things like cross in the middle of the street instead of a crosswalk and see if they're following me but sometimes people get in that zone like when you go to the airport and you're just following feet yeah yeah right and you're you're past your gate and same thing happens to other people so we don't want to create a situation um out of something that's that's nothing that's not there right and so you know i i was in New Orleans, thought I was being followed. These guys looked a little seedy, you sure. know. I don't know them. And so I walk a couple blocks, cross the middle of the street, they cross the middle of the street. Two more blocks, cross middle of the street, they cross too. And they started gaining on me a little bit. And I'm like, I don't know what these guys are about. Well, I'm going to find out. So I spin around, throw my hands out, and yell, stop at the top of my lungs. And these two guys go, dude, what the hell, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, nothing, carry on, we're good. But right Sorry. then and there, I just quantified their um, motives. Right. I was able to, okay. They were in that self hypnotic state. They were just following feet. They weren't paying attention to who they were following, just that they were following a crowd or following a person. Especially in Bourbon street, there's probably alcohol involved in one way or another. Who knows? You're blitzed. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I use that as a, uh, as a teaching thing in my class, you know, you can, you can quantify things by having an interaction or having a, you know, I don't care what country you go to, what language they speak. Throwing your hands out and yelling stop means the same thing in every country. <laughs> yeah. And, yep. you know, if that creates shock in them, you know that they're probably okay. Right. Because you know? if not, then they're, they've got less than ideal motives. Right. If they postured or they're like, you know, they, they keep after it. Well, okay. Well, now I know they're up to no good. So now I got to up my game. Right. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. that's a good way to think of things, like you said, because like you said, I think a lot of people just take a class, buy a gun, and they think they're set. And we've talked about that a bunch, where that's yeah, just that's so just the beginning. Yeah, well, that gun does not come with a cape, uh, no. unfortunately, <laughs> and a lot of people think it does because it ends up being the first tool instead of the last tool. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, my best friend is a building contractor, mm-hmm. and I always use him as an example. I'm like, you know. My buddy doesn't show up on the job with just a screwdriver or his stiletto hammer or his rip saw or his uh, worm drive skill saw or his table saw. It's a trailer full of tools 
and it's the right tool for the right job. And, um, you know, this whole personal protection realm is no different. We don't want to escalate to a gun when there's no call for it. We want to use the least possible force that we can and until that force is needed. Yeah. You only escalate till you need to. Right. So. Yeah. And, and we talked about it before. It's amazing. The misconception that happens that, Oh yeah, that's all. I'll just use the gun to stop the threat right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I'll fire. I'll fire a couple warning shots. Oh, <laughs> that's the other bad piece of advice that I hear in the in the class. Well, I'll just uh, shoot him in the leg, or <laughs> I'll I'll shoot a warning shot. It is far harder for an attorney to get you off, uh, knowing that you did not shoot somebody um, because uh, you were trying to scare them, or because because in that moment you just admitted that you weren't in fear. Of your, your life, enabled to be able to press the trigger in reasonable conscience and shoot yeah. somebody to stop action for uh, something that was going to cause protracted loss of life or limb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, but and it's good intentions. But what do they say about good intentions? And like I said, you know, at the end of the day, that court battle, yeah, you, you know, you're not really going to care whether you were right or wrong or indifferent if yeah. you're in jail for 30 years for homicide. Yeah, yeah. It's wild stuff to think about, but you do really have to think about it if you're going to yep. accept that responsibility of concealed carry. So, uh, but let's kind of let's talk about. Do you teach um, kind of the practical kind of side of concealed carry too, like you know dress and like I do. You know, yeah, that kind of, I, I talk about to, that a little. I try to talk about all the aspects because it really is an art, and mm-hmm. you know I I talk about um, concealed carry like. It's like anything that is not comfortable. There's nothing convenient about it. Nothing. Right. And I always tell people, it's like wearing contacts. You know, (laughs) if you don't wear them every day for 90 days, you'll never get used to them. Right. And, you know, it's not that they quit feeling like sandpaper in your eyes. It's just that you get acclimated to the discomfort. And concealed carry is no different. There's always going to be some discomfort or inconvenience about it. And you mitigate those things through gear through clothing choices, through, you know, most people don't even think about the fact that there are four, five, and six belt loop pants, and that's going to change where you can carry, how you can carry, how things are going to attach. Um, you know, the other thing that people don't talk about is, or think about, what do you do when you go poop? Yeah. If, if you've ever been to front sight uh, <laughs> and you hit the head at the same time as 40 other people on your firing line and you hear clink, clank, clunk. <laughs> Guns hitting the deck because people aren't properly retaining them, or oh wow, you know. Yeah. Well, and imagine having that happening in a public bathroom somewhere. Oh, I, so uh, at my old place of employment, I found the owner's handgun on the toilet paper rack twice. <laughs> my son found it the last time, and I, oh, wow. I basically said, if this happens again, you're not getting it back. I just, damn, yeah, that's, just not getting it back. That is irresponsible. No that is. That's you irresponsible know, at best. Yeah. And if you can't retain your weapon, you have no business carrying a weapon. Yeah. I mean, that's Man. just what it boils down to. But yeah. So. There's, that, there's a- that right there is one of the biggest reasons why I stopped carrying at six o'clock. Because that's how, when I very first started carrying, it was it was six o'clock. Okay. S- super uncomfortable. But yeah, bathroom breaks was even worse. <laughs> I, I, I feared that that gun was going in the toilet before anything yep. else. <laughs> You're going for a dive. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, let's talk about like, you know, positions of carry and stuff. Do you kind of favor one, teach one over the other? Or is it I kind really of do whatever's... because for me, um, like I said, trying to set people up for success rather than uh, the, the thing that you don't want is furtive movement. You mm-hmm. don't want, you know, extraneous movement getting to your gun. And so for me, the most natural place is strong side, mm-hmm. slight can't. And then it, you know, in your draw stroke, you, you're talking about economy of motion, just like you're talking about when you're doing a scale on a guitar, you want the least yeah. amount of movement to be able to get the gun out. And that creates, um, the time gap because, you know, time is our most valuable asset in this whole 
altercation, right? And so if we can make everything work the way it's supposed to and set us up for the next move, to me, that's economy of motion, motion coming from the holster to joining, punching out, taking yeah, a slack out. Everything is just like rolling at the same time. And I, I teach techniques like, um, you know, when we're, when we're dealing with malfunctions, we're always checking to see if we have a magazine, mm-hmm. you know, so we're doing things like, you know, I always tell people, if you're getting shot at, your number one objective is to move to cover while you're getting your gun out. Or if you've already got it out, you need to be moving to cover. Well, I'm doing three things at once. I'm moving to cover. If I've got a malfunction, if it's a type two or type three, I've got to do a visual inspection, not just the click, no bang. Yeah. Right? So I'm looking at the ejection port. I'm checking for a magazine on my way to cover. And you're moving. To, yeah. And I'm moving. So I'm doing three things at once, all economy of motion to effectively create the same thing. And that checking for a magazine lets me know what's in my repertoire. If, I, if I've got a type three malfunction, which is a uh, double feed mm-hmm. or a brass low, um, I want to know that I got another magazine so I can strip this one to the ground and put and a new one in. Go, yeah. If I don't, well, guess what? The bullets that are in that magazine that's in that gun are the only ones I got, so I want to make sure I retain it. So you're right. setting yourself up for all these little things that create success rather than that, you know. I always tell people, if you try to guess what's wrong with your gun, your guess is always wrong under stress, and sure. then you're trying to fix a malfunction that doesn't exist, which fogs the, the brain even more. Yeah, you're kind of like going down a rabbit hole at that point. Of yeah, and then your brain. So when your brain gets um, overloaded with too much visual and audible and like uh, stimuli, it locks up. Right, we get in that blackout phase where yeah. our brain just freeze. You know, during headlights, sensory overload. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. so I always tell people, you know, if you symptomize it, then you know where to go. You're not guessing. You're not trying to. And like when I'll set malfunctions up with people on the firing line, they're like, they know I'm getting ready to call them. You know, I'm like, don't set yourself up to know what it is, because guess what? About the time you think you know what it is, it's something it's else. It's going to be and something I've, different. I've seen a type one malfunction turn into a type two and then turn into a type three. Really? All because they weren't symptomized. Wow. Or like I told a guy, I watched a guy, when you tell him to tap it, rack it, and flip it. Yeah. He was flipping it with the ejection port up instead of down. So nothing and was falling out? Yeah, well, not only that, but I actually have seen this. And when you've done it enough times, you see it, right? Yeah rotates it to the left, racks it, that empty round comes out and lands right back in the ejection port. <laughs> so then creates another malfunction. That's a whole other mess, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, ejection port down, let gravity do the job. You know, mm-hmm. and so you know, I, I try to bring across the effectiveness of doing this the right thing every time. That way you're setting yourself up for success when you're already behind. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, well let's talk about let you know concealed carry, talk about the your your podcast a little bit. Um you know, obviously, do you, are these things kind of things you cover on the podcast? Yeah, I do. So um, the last podcast I talked about going from that unconscious, you know, what we don't know to that muscle memory phase. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about things like, you know, uh, two weeks ago, I talked about the Virginia thing. Oh, uh, yeah. The, yeah. the uh, Virginia Denver church out. shooting. Oh, or, yeah. No, no, no. So that was before. The Virginia, yeah, the, the uh, timeline of events with the government. Oh, with this, the gun laws and the... Yeah, the, how they, yeah, like, the changed the, uh, the uh, vote count in the middle of a recall. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the governor and the rest of the government in Virginia, while uh, active recall was going on, and they had one-third of the, the numbers they needed to change or to get that recall um, in, mm-hmm. they voted to change the requirement from 10% to 25%. So they moved <laughs> the field goal. 
right? That's, That's like, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I kind of posted this timeline of events and how it all started kind of trickling and how it ended up in the rally. Yeah, yeah, which uh, was which was very cool to see twenty five thousand well, people and not a not a single problem. Not a single problem. They picked up after themselves, and I'm like, if that doesn't tell you motive, intent, honor, and integrity, right there, when people talk about these crazy gun guys and all of us two A guys that are just like nuts, and when we go and have a peaceful protest where we're not looting and right. rioting, and everybody's and then, armed, and everybody's armed, and then we walk away and pick up our trash. You know what? That should tell you enough. And, and this, this is, again, you know, we can talk about politics. We can talk about this in anything. But when we operate from emotion rather than rationale or from um, informed decisions, it never goes well. It just never goes well. Yeah. And, it's usually a reaction, an emotional reaction. Yes. Yeah. doesn't do any good. So, so. I, um, the uh, one of the podcasts, I talked about the church shooting in Texas mm-hmm. and, you know, how that was a uh, the guy that stopped that was very well trained mm-hmm. and if you look around uh, and it wasn't typical of a, an active shooter situation because you only hear screaming from the side where the action was happening if you watch the video most everybody else was in a calm relaxed and had no realization what was actually happening yeah they didn't even have time to react no I and mean, this whole thing happened in six seconds and, you, and if you look i think the total number of guns drawn were about 10. oh wow. but by then the whole thing was, was already, already over. Yeah, already over. And this over, guy yeah. took a, I don't know how what the distance was. I'm guessing it was probably like 10, 15 yards. It was, it was, it was a pretty good distance. It was super close. I bet it was 35 feet. It, 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 it was yeah. a little out of the typical, um, yeah. what we would classify a personal protection uh, realm, you know, or maw distance, whatever you want to call it. But um, this guy was very effective in one shot, stop. Stop the threat. Face, right in the face, where, you know, <laughs> stops all action. Mm-hmm. Um, not anybody, you know, people like, and this is another misconception. I hear a lot of people say, well, I'll just shoot the gun out of his hands. No, you won't. People <laughs> say that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a precision Realistically? shot. Realistically? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Like I said, <laughs> you know, especially in these, like, uh, classes, like Cabela's and Sportsman's Warehouse, I, I hear so many wow. things that people say they're going to do. And I'm like, you think you're going to do it, but I guarantee you, uh, it, it just doesn't work like that. No, man, that's, that's yeah. crazy. That, I mean, cause we've well, talked, to, go I ahead. saw it on John wick. The second one. <laughs> exactly. And I'm pretty sure I can do that. Cause I play airsoft. Uh huh. Well, Naturally. that's what I tell people, you know, this stuff doesn't work by osmosis. You can't watch you to, you can't keyboard or couch commando your way into training. Yeah. You have to actually do it. You can't, you know, sit on YouTube all day and watch guys that are really good at what they do. And then expect that you're just going to go out there in your mind. It looks that way. But when you hit the reality of things and then um, that stress level hits a place where you don't even know what your uh, amygdala response is, whether that's fight, flight, freeze, yeah, posture, you, know, you, you don't even know what it is. Yeah. Um, what is your uh, podcast called again? Openly Concealed. Openly and Concealed. And it's in conjunction with um, Idaho Enhanced Academy and Two Wolves Media. Okay, cool. And where can find it anywhere podcasts are? are uh, yeah, at? so um, if you go to Two Wolves Media, there's an Openly Concealed discussion board there. Okay, cool. And they're usually posted there. Um, I usually, um, I think now they're cross-posting to Idaho Enhanced Academy. Cool. Uh, so you can see him there. And, you know, we, we welcome. I love to have these conversations where oh, yeah. I can just talk to people because to me, you know, uh, we can all do a better job if we listen to people. And if, if people are asking questions and saying, hey, how do you deal with this? What do you, what do I do in this case? Or, you know, what is your thought on the legalities of this? 
well, then we can talk about it and then people can understand, hey, it's not what you think it is. It's something really altered to everything you've ever thought about this whole realm. Yeah, and there's all those misconceptions and things that you may not even think about. So. Yeah, absolutely. And like cool. I said, I could, I could spend all day, I, you know, <laughs> and I, I tell people I could probably spend all day talking about the types of actions and parts and, you oh, know, sure. um, I, I, I love that in-depth um, but, um, yeah, I, I just, it's really a passion for me. Yeah. It really no, I can is, tell so. you can, you can really tell that you really care about not just the safety and the instruction part, but really the, the, the practicality and the real world application. And I think that's it, another so. thing we started talking about too, you know, talking about the whole instruction side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've never done this for money. I mean, when the money's good, it's great, you sure. know, but I don't uh-huh. do it because of the money. I do it because I'm passionate about it. And, yeah. you know, I think that's the problem with a lot of instructors. In fact, Believe it or not, I know instructors that don't even like guns. Really? Yeah. And, and in fact, I, I did a ride along with a Nampa police officer one time, and he told me, Yeah, I don't even like guns. I'm like, Whoa, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Stop the car for a second. <laughs> I'm like, Dude, you're in a profession that carries a gun as a profession. You, yeah. This should not Required be your job. You know? And he goes, You know, I'm like, Why did you decide to be a cop? Well, my dad was a cop, and, you know, and I'm like, just wanted to live the legacy. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, listen, you know, do yourself a favor, find a different career because you know, if, if you don't like guns and that's what you do as a profession, you're setting yourself up for failure, man. Yeah. That's kind of scary. Yeah. Well, and, I was, I, and I've, I've said this before. A friend of mine is, uh, is one of the post instructors here in Idaho. And I asked him straight up. I was like, how many students you got that, that come through that have never even touched a firearm before? Oh boy! And he he didn't even have to think about it. He's like, yeah, probably sixty percent. Wow! That have never wow. even messed with firearms. Well, and I always so, throw this out there too. You do you guys know what the uh, national hit average is for law enforcement? It's like it's twenty percent, super low, twenty two. 22%, yeah, 23%, something like that. I think it came up this last year. <laughs> wow. Well, and, and honestly, if you look nationwide, you know, that's not just an isolated conversation that you had with your, with the, with the Nampa police department guy. I mean, uh-uh. look at most of the, the law enforcement around. It seems that they're not super pro second amendment. At least the vocal ones aren't anyways, I guess. Yeah. That's the problem. It's, it's the vocal ones. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, yeah. it's unfortunate. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, but that's why we have good people like Terry to train and, and teach us about what we need to know and have a podcast. So yeah, that'd be cool to maybe uh, we can uh, we can come onto your podcast and have a conversation. Yeah, and, that and would be that'd great. Be, I love really it. Cool, I love so. this. You know, I you know that's I think that's another philosophy about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people get into this mindset. It's either my way or no way, or my right. way or the highway. And right, I'm like, right, right. I, I grew up in the pawn business. Well, I could tell you every other pawn shop owner's name mm-hmm. because I frequented in their business. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, if I can't help you, I will send you to somebody who can. And that's that's really my philosophy. You know, if I can't yeah. get it done for you, I will I will refer you to somebody who can get it done for you mm-hmm. because it's more important to me that you get what you need than it is that I get a dollar. Right. And that's so, a good way to look at it. Yeah, and I think it's if collaborative. We, I, I say that in, even in this whole concealed carry realm, if we were all just more considerate of the other person than we are of ourselves, we would live in a in a way better world. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into our five questions. Oh, um, five questions. So now, Steve. Now, uh, now it's my turn, Terry. Yeah. We're gonna <laughs> stick, you wonder, you wonder why I haven't said much this whole time. Oh, you're just waiting because... to put, put me under pressure, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All so, right. No, it's no pressure. These are, this is nothing too, too difficult. So every guest, every guest we bring on, uh, we decided a while ago to, uh, to make it a little bit more. Uh, a get to know you, not just like how you feel about your occupation or, or whatever it might be. So these sure. questions are designed to let our listeners get to know Terry a little bit more. Okay. Sounds good. 
So there's five, and like I say, we ask every every uh, every one of our guests these same questions. So okay. Well, I told you I'm easy like Sunday morning. So. <laughs> okay. So I, we're gonna jump into it then, if you're All not right. easy. Yeah. Okay. Number one. Okay. What experience in your life has been the most influential, and why? Um. It would either be uh, getting shot with 12 gauge, or um, I, I always relate back to another incident that happened to me in high school. Um, I got picked on a lot, mm-hmm. so I started learning how to defend myself. I took Natacon, Shotokan, Kishinkan, karate, started learning how to protect myself, and um, I got into a fight that completely reshaped the way I think about that that ego is you, not your amigo thing. Sure. Um, I got hit, and I hit this guy twice, and then did a front snap kick that knocked him like up and on his back oh wow and um you know all because high school kids one of them flipped me off i gave him the arm the french arm whatever you call it i don't even know what it is it's some you know um and that in that moment that i didn't even realize it was there there was that hidden warrior that just came out in that moment of um because through all this training yeah Mm -hmm. and it made me think you know Hindsight, what if I would have killed that kid? What if he would have been in, in a coma? What if a concussion, you know, Paralyzed and all? or anything? Yeah. yeah. And I am like, all because somebody wants to prove how tough they are. Sure. And yep. so I think that reshaped. And I think that's the thing that really led me to where I am. And, I, you know, I told another story in my podcast about something that happened at the pawn shop, kind of a similar using lethal force um, that could have completely changed the way I um, lived my life based mm-hmm. on how that thing went down. And, and, you know, we can talk about that another time, but uh, there've been like three key things in my life that have shaped, I think who I am and what I am and why I do what I do today. Wow. There you go. So it's a great answer. <laughs> so that, that was easy. Okay. All Not right. Too bad. All right. Ready for the second one? Yes, sir. Okay. So you just won the lottery. It's, it's an exorbitant amount of money, like just nothing that you would have expected. What's the first thing you're going to do with that money and why? Um, first thing I would do is probably, uh, so I attend a small church that meets at uh, Nampa Christian High School. Mm-hmm. I would build a building. Cool. Uh, because I'm, nice. uh, you know, my dad was a Pentecostal preacher, so I grew up religious. You know, I believe um, there is a God. He put us here for a reason. And, you know, that's the other thing about my uh, um my whole thing as an instructor, I have been so close to death through, you know, being shot. I've, I've been hunting and had bullets graze my ears, um, out on the river shooting shotguns. Wow. And so I, I think I kind of felt like, you know, God has me here for a purpose. And it was my wife that said, you're too passionate about this to let it go. Really? So, yeah. And so, you know, I figure God's kept me alive for a reason. And I think this is it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, like so, I said, you, you really tell you're passionate about it and you really care about yeah. it, which is a nice thing to see. So, so, the first thing would be a church. And then after that, it would be a facility <laughs> like Front Sight here in the Valley. That would be cool. That would be super cool. We've, we've talked about it a bunch of times how we're blessed to have so many manufacturers and oh, facilities absolutely. and stuff here in the Valley, but could always use some more. Yep. So, and man, I, I've got some ideas. We need to talk. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> well, you guys need to win the lottery first, too. So, that's okay. True, that's well, true. you got to play it to win it. So, that's true, yeah, that's, too. That's the other part, right? <laughs> yeah. So, nice. All right. Cool. All right. Number three, what is your biggest fear? Uh, the legalities of a defensive shooting. <laughs> It was truly my not, biggest fear. Not like ticks or anything else? Just Oh, no. No. Okay. Matter of fact, I just recently did a um, 
one of those escape houses with my uh, oh, an escape room, yeah, yeah, over yeah. in Nampa, and it was it was dark, you know, and so of course everybody's and in my mind again being linear kind of thinking, I'm like this is not real. And so nothing scares me, right? Sure. And so yeah, you're in a they had this thing where you were had to put your hand in the sink, and it felt like the dishwasher or the uh, disposal was coming on. Oh, really? I'm like, it's not real. <laughs> what reach in, grab it. You know, I had to reach into this thing that looked like a body that had goo in it that had a key. It just, and it's like it's not real. It's not real. You know. So wow. I, and I I just don't let fear dictate my actions. Sure. Nice. That would have been pretty interesting to see. Just, it was fun. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I said, if if we were in an environment that was unknown. Then I probably would have been a little more, you know, I would have been a little more MacGyverish. Sure, that's cool. You can kind of turn it on and turn it off, though. I mean, but that's all through training. So yeah, yeah, right. Okay, number four. What would you say is your biggest achievement? Oh, my biggest, my kids. You know, being a dad. I mean, I'm getting emotional here. uh, (laughs) I've got four kids, four grandkids. Um, I got three daughters and uh, one son and. Yeah, just being a being a dad, I think, is probably my biggest achievement. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, we've heard that one a, a few times about being a parent. And yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not one. But I mean, I uh, could make I could go I, out and make a million dollars, and it wouldn't matter wouldn't to me matter. as much as my kids do. Yeah, you know. So yeah, Steve keeps telling me I'll find out sooner or later. So you will, you will. <laughs> See, there you it know, is. Yeah. You, you do anything, you hurt for your kids. You you know, you cry for your kids. You, yeah. You know, you love them like no other. Yeah, that's that's it's a, that's the a, best gift in the world. Really absolutely. Is. Yeah, that's a common answer, but it's a, a very good one. So cool. Uh, was that four or five? That was that four. Was, that was four. That's what I thought. This is my, one I've got the my, round count. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> He's paying attention for all of us. This is my most favorite question. Kate. All right. Like, and I always preface it. I know exactly how I would answer, um, and I always get interested in how other people answer. So, are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> all right. Who would you say is your greatest hero and why? Greatest hero and why? Oh boy! See, you know, here's here's part of my problem is I have a hard time just choosing one. Well, I, you know, people ask me what's your, your favorite greatest song. Greatest hero, not not just a hero, but the hero. Um. Oh boy! You know, I if anything, I think I'd probably have to say my dad. You know, my dad's no longer with us. He's he's really the one I think that taught me. Um, uh, a good work ethic, work hard, you know, um, <clears throat> he's the one that taught me, you know, as wrong as he could be, he taught me integrity and an honor. And, uh, you know, you tell somebody you're going to do it, do something, you do it. Sure. And, uh, and my dad did so many deals on a handshake and, and there was no paper involved. It was just a handshake. And like I said, there, there are times my dad could be really, really wrong, <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he taught me an honest day's work. I worked for my dad for 17 years in the pond business. And oh yeah. I learned a lot of valuable trades and, um, I always saw in him times when he was ready to give up that where he just worked harder, you know, and, and put everything in and. So I'd have to say that, but you know, I got a lot of my, you know, my friends, my, uh, I've got mentors in my life, uh, spiritually and financially. And, uh, so it, it's a pretty long list, but, <laughs> sure. uh, but if I had to top them all off, I, I would say it's probably my dad. That's cool. Awesome. That's inspiring. So cool. Uh, do you have anything else, Steve? Cause that, that about wraps it up. <laughs> no, I like, get I'm, this guy yeah, out of here. I'm, he won't I'm, shut up. No, we put you through the ringer and you survived. So, uh, Terry Piper, uh, thank you very much. If, uh, anybody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do it? Uh, you can reach me through Idaho um, through ultimate hybrid tech.com or, um, uh, phone numbers are listed there. Email, um, cool. or, um, 
uh, phone call. Yeah, and you can always get a hold of us too, and we'll put you in touch with Terry. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, make sure you check out the podcast, Openly Concealed. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Two Wolves Media and Idaho Enhanced Academy. Awesome. Yes. Well, thank you for listening. Well, uh, if you want to get a hold of us, podcast at iishooting.com or at Range Minded Podcast. Uh, I think we'll be uh, seeing Terry again on the podcast or uh, doing a crossover or something like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So, that'd be, so. That'd be awesome. Cool. Uh, thank you, uh, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. Be safe. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Range Minded. Find us online at Range Minded Podcast on Facebook or send us an email at podcast at iishooting.com. We're always happy to get feedback, episode suggestions, whatever you want to send us, really. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.